It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Thanks for joining us at the Jason in the House podcast. I'm Jason Chaffetz and really do appreciate it. I think you're going to like this. We got a good uh, conversation today. We're going to be talking to the former ambassador to Denmark, Carla Sands. She is the uh, a candidate for the Republican nomination there in Pennsylvania for the United States Senate. But she also served in the uh, Trump administration as an ambassador. And uh, so I look forward to chatting with her and getting to know her and her perspective on life and success and everything else like that. I want to give some thoughts on the news and I want to highlight the stupid because, you know, there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. And then we'll phone our friend Ambassador Carla Sands. But let's just dive right into something I've really, I wanted to talk about because we had this important report coming out from John Durham. He filed court papers. He's the U.S. attorney probing the Hillary Clinton situation and the now totally debunked Russia hoax that was put on this country for more than four years. Really, if you look at it, it was a a long time. It was closer to five years. And what happened there? How did this happen? How did it engage uh, the upper echelon of of our federal government who was funding it? How was the money flowing? And based on what we know right now, a couple of people have been charged along the way, including Kevin Kleinsmith, who worked at the FBI and uh, was charged, and I believe he pled guilty to altering a document that uh, read differently than it was supposed to, so altering documents. But I want to focus right now on the implications of the Durham probe and how it really kind of threatens the Biden administration I wrote an op-ed, if you want to read more about it, at foxnews.com. But there's some real implications here because it was highlighted in a filing that Fox News obtained, and you can go look at it and read it yourself. But the implication of this is that the government really can't be trusted to protect our data because the filing was showing that there was another party that was able to access information uh, that was there on the Internet And they worked to infiltrate the Trump White House, the Trump campaign, Donald Trump himself. And there are some bigger, broader issues that really are going to affect all of us. The White House communications evidently are not secure. If somebody can get in there and look at them and then be able to, you know, send them off to a particular political campaign. I think the Biden administration has a clear conflict of interest. They've got to allow John Durham and his team to continue to go on, whether or not they prosecute, what they prosecute, how they prosecute. The Biden administration, they have a clear conflict of interest here. Jake Sullivan, the current national security advisor, is implicated in this. He's at the very top echelon of Team Hillary and what was going on there. It raises the question as to whether or not he should have a security clearance. And he should be the one talking to us about national security because he was also the one talking to the public and the world and and telling us that there was all this Russia, Russia, Russia that had to do with Donald Trump. I think the intelligence agencies are highly suspicious and that they can be weaponized for partisan politics. Obviously, I hope, I think, it's been my experience that the rank and file, the overwhelming majority of people at these intelligence agencies they don't play partisan politics, but that is what happened in this case. And you certainly can't trust the mainstream media news outlets who buried this story, either didn't even cover it at all, or when these revelations came out, they just totally buried it and didn't give it nearly the light of day that they did for years on what was going on with Donald Trump and Russia. You know, they handed out awards to each other and patted each other the back for all the great reporting they did. But when it turned out to be totally false, totally bogus, totally made up, did they give those awards back? Did they correct the record? Did they go back and issue a correction? No, they didn't do any of that. 
Well, there's also going to be no justice if Clinton and her minions are not held accountable. That's one of the things I highlight in this op-ed. The lying was not accidental. They knew exactly what they were doing. And I just worry that these security clearances in general are not secure. I mean, there's a lot of implications here from what the U.S. attorney has already put forward in his court filings. And that is just the start of it, because I do believe there is more to come. There will be more indictments. And the more we learn about this, the more we have a duty and an obligation as a country, as a people, not just a party, to make sure that it never, ever happens again. That's my take on it. All right, let's bring on the stupid, because you know what? There's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. One of the things I read about is that our U.S. government, they used to give out a a subsidy, and they're still giving it out. It was about mohair and Goran goats. We needed these goats to grow their hair so that we could use them as a raw material in our U.S. military outfits and uniforms. This is back in the World Wars. Maybe it's understandable that, hey, we needed to accelerate goat production. Problem is, when I was in Congress, I tried to get rid of this subsidy. Uh, It was just over a million dollars, million and a half. People said, oh, that's just merely a bucket, not even a second's worth of spending. But it just begs the question and leads you to believe what what other necessity at the moment never got sunsetted. Well, when we were working on the goats and the mohair, we tried to fight against this. And miraculously, there were members of Congress who pushed back against it. They wanted to continue to allow their goat herder constituents to benefit from this subsidy from the American taxpayers. Well, there's um, something a little bit similar. It was revealed that there are some 1.4 billion, billion pounds of cheese buried in a cave in Missouri. Ended up that, uh, you know, government wanted to prop up farmers, make sure they were continuing to produce product. They didn't go out of business, that we had good cheese production in this in our country. <sighs> but through another program now, there's still cheese production that never goes to the market, doesn't go to the homeless, doesn't go to people who need the food. No, it goes to a cave in Missouri. Unbelievable that we have that kind of thing going on. And another thing that's out there that uh, Breitbart News was talking about is that the surveillance state of New York City is now deploying cameras. But not just cameras, these cameras come with microphones. And these microphones are there to issue tickets to loud cars. So all the problems, all the challenges, all the crime, all the murders, all the guns, all the... And our good friends there in New York City, what are they doing? Deploying cameras with microphones to ticket loud cars. Like that's the biggest problem that you have in New York City. Traffic's loud in New York City. It's crowded. It's bumper to bumper pretty much anytime you want to go do it. But they're honking horns. They're doing all kinds of things. But, oh, yeah, law enforcement's prioritizing things by deploying cameras with microphones. And to me, that qualifies as a bit stupid because, you know, there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere, and they're doing it in New York City. All right, now it's time to uh, phone a friend, somebody I haven't spent much time with, but I've heard good things about from some people I highly respect. And so I look forward to this conversation. We're going to call Ambassador Carla Sands. She was the ambassador from the United States to Denmark. She's now running for the United States Senate to represent the good state of Pennsylvania. So let's dial up Ambassador Carla Sands. Hello. Hey, this is Jason Chaffetz. Uh, Carla, thanks so much for joining us, Madam Ambassador, I should say, on the uh, Jason in the House podcast. Well, thanks for having me on, Jason. I'm thrilled to be with you and your listeners. Oh, well, listen, I uh, you've done a lot in your life, and including serving as the ambassador in the Trump administration to Denmark. And boy, you know, you're right, right in the thick of things right now, dealing with Russia and Germany and the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. and But we want to get to know you a little bit better, and we want to talk a little bit about policy, obviously, or a- along the way. But um, you're also a candidate for the United States Senate, so you-, you got a lot on your plate. I am, yes. So did you ever, like when you were a little girl and you're growing up, you're like eight years old, were you just thinking, yeah, I'm going to be an ambassador. Yeah, I'll, I'll go be a United States senator. Is that Was that the dream since you were a young little Carla running around? Well, I appreciate the question. And it actually, 
I was 15 years old and I took a test at my high school and I grew up in central Pennsylvania. So it's not, we're near the capital, but it's really, it's more rural than, than uh, urban. And I didn't know anything about the foreign service, but I read, I took this test and I saw where my skills laid. And I, I went home and told my little sister, when I grow up, I want to be an ambassador. I knew I wanted to serve really? our country. I'm passionate. Yes. Yeah. That's and so amazing. I didn't know you could go to the foreign service and, you know, take a test and make that a career choice. I had no idea. My father and grandfather, my father still is, are doctors of chiropractic. And so I grew up, you know, watching um, my father treat people and help them get out of pain. I helped my grandma do the books as a little girl and worked at the front desk without pay when I was 12 and 13 years old. So, you know, helped develop x-rays in a dark room with my grandmother as a little kid. That was my upbringing. I had no idea that there was a pathway to uh, have a career and serve the country abroad. But, you know, there's a skill set that comes along with this. Um, Not only do you need to be wicked smart in order to, you know, rise to that level and get things done, but there's another part of it about your public presence and your ability to speak and articulate and debate and and represent ultimately the United States in a in a foreign country. So let's go back early, early. Tell us a little bit more about your family and sort of those experiences, maybe your first job and that sort of thing. But walk us through that. OK, sure. Well, you know, when I grew up, you could go to public school and get an outstanding education, be truly ready for college or a job and not be indoctrinated. My teachers, I really didn't know whether they were uh, conservative or they were more to the left. I didn't know. They didn't tell us. And we had a moment of silence every morning and did the pledge every morning. So I yeah. grew up very patriotically, not in a political home, and read books by Anne Rand in 1984 and things, books like that by George Orwell, learning about uh, the danger of communism and the, and the importance of democracy and our limited government, because we were still in the Cold War. We understood the USSR, the Soviet Union, and its threats to, to democracy. Yeah, you know, people forget about that, but they're, you know, the Cold War is, you know, in our view, view mirror, but there's sort of a new Cold War of today. But, you know, I grew up in the pretty similar time frame that, as, as you did, and ah, the, the Soviet threat, the Cold War, it was very real, and kids had to pay attention to it. We were learning about it, and, pay, you know, there was what you said just rings true to me, too. I, I think about my teachers growing up, and I didn't know what their po- political party affiliation was. It just wasn't, you know, we talked about history, but we didn't go through what some of the kids are getting bombarded with today. So keep going. You were about to say um, your first job and, and what you did in yeah, that well, experience. Sure. So I'm the oldest of seven children. So my, my first jobs were unpaid work at the house. Right, right. But yeah, but I did babysitting and what a lot of girls did uh, growing up in my generation and then uh, teaching art to little kids at the school. But my first real job that was paid was at Hershey Park. And then I went on to. Um, what were you doing you know, there? You could get yourself into trouble at Hershey Park. It's it, was it does fabulous. smell well. smell good. I love it there. It's it's a fun yeah. place to visit. Boy, the smell just permeates. I love it. Yeah. So Hershey is a, an iconic brand, and we had uniforms. It was a little bit like working at a smaller Disneyland, but I actually I prefer Hershey Park because I I think it's I think it's just fabulous and just the right size. And then I, I went on to study to be a doctor of chiropractic after doing undergrad in Pennsylvania and did a little modeling and acting to make some extra money while I was studying to be a doctor. So I've had a lot of different jobs. I was a lifeguard unpaid at the uh, summer camp that I used to go to. It was a Christian sleepaway camp. So when I was too old to be sent, uh, my parents said, well, why don't you go be the lifeguard? And so that's what I did. So, you know, like many kids growing up in my generation, I was happy to work and I, I was eager to work and to become financially independent, always seeking, you know, opportunity. Yeah. If you're the oldest of seven kids, you're having to learn a skill set and do some things that, you know, maybe a smaller family like me and my brother, <laughs> we didn't have to go through seven kids. That's, that's, uh, that's quite the household, especially when you're the oldest. Yeah. It was a really wonderful thing to grow up in a big, loving family. And, um, and, you know, we were, it was a a Christian home. So it was, 
very faith-filled. And I mean, for instance, my father, we had an intercom system in the house, wouldn't let us play any kind of current contemporary music. There were there was no rock music in the house. I think we had like Andre Crouch and then the sleep, the singing nuns. That was pretty much <laughs> so. I was really eager to get away to college and actually have my first at that time record player and buy records like Billy Joel and you know sort of current music and and that was the kind of house I grew up in. It was very probably unusual. Yeah, I think my parents enjoyed the idea that, you know, headphones became more and more prevalent and you could get those orange, you know, those old orange Sony headphones on and listen to your own music as loud as you wanted, but without radiating out for the whole rest of the house. Uh, that's for sure. So tell us about the college experience. What did you like? What did you not like? What did, what did you really walk away from from that experience? Well, so sure. So I attended uh, for undergrad. I studied at Indiana University of Pennsylvania and Elizabethtown College. And again, even if they were left leaning, especially Indiana University of Pennsylvania, they allowed conservative students to have their voice. You could kind of feel where the other students were. I was one of the minority being a conservative, but I wasn't censored. I was allowed to speak and to disagree with the socialism tenets that they were talking about when you got into, um, you know, sort of some of the subjects that they might be covering. And that was important that we had the freedom to think and to draw our own conclusions and to educate ourselves with facts and not be indoctrinated. So that's one of the biggest challenges. I, and I worry about it today in our universities. I have a daughter who's in college and there is no freedom of expression and they, they really, the kind of coursework that they give these young people is very negative uh, for some, you know, in some of the, the, the books and subjects and papers that they ask them to write, even on critical theory and, and uh, books that are very anti-white, I'll say. And God loves all of us, you know, in right. all of our many colors. And so to be accepting of one's person is very important because everyone has value, everyone, and everyone should have opportunity. This is America. This is a place where anything is possible, where I've been blessed to live a, a life that I couldn't have dreamed of living as a young woman coming from central Pennsylvania. But if you work hard and you persist you persevere, anyone can achieve in America. And that's why all of these immigrants are trying to come here and breaking in our southern border is because of America being that, you know, that land of opportunity. It still is, although the left is at war with that, uh, you know, attempting to impose certainly um, socialism, I'll say, more like Venezuela, not like Denmark in America. Um, and that's what that's really why I'm running, Jason. I want to get to the why you ran and, and why you're running and, and how you got involved and engaged and involved with public service and getting the appointment from Donald Trump. But so you get done with college and, you know, the world's your oyster, right? You can go out and do whatever you want to do. And you did some interesting things, right? You you did some television. You did some – explain to us what you did. Well, sure. I was uh, practicing alongside my dad in our third-generation family practice in my hometown here in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania. I grew up in, like, Mechanicsburg and Camp Hill. And I, I got a call. I got an opportunity to go to Los Angeles and – um, have a, an interesting, you know, job. And I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to go West, but you know, it's something that when you're young, it's good to try new things. And so I moved to LA and I did a soap opera and a couple of movies and some primetime guest stars, dozens and dozens of commercials. Some of them ran during the Super Bowl, And then soon after that, I sat for the board out in California and began to practice chiropractic there. Oh, very good. And so at some point you meet, you meet somebody, right? And uh, uh, yes, I met the love of my life and I got married in the late nineties and we had our daughter together and um, she's 21 now. And, you know, we did something together that it's kind of unusual. We purposed to raise funds for conservative causes, worthy causes, certainly, and candidates, and we did what Ronald Reagan said to do. He said, work to get elected the most conservative electable candidate that you can. And so we, we raised a lot of money. Um, and we certainly, we had Mitt Romney at the house. I had 
Donald Trump at the House, raising money for their campaigns. And we worked hard to help every Republican candidate for president uh, since we were married. So since before 2000 until, you know, until now. And that's because we know that Republicans are the party of strong families, job opportunity and strong business, especially small business and also constitutional freedoms. Now, we know how important liberty is. You see those truckers up in um, Canada. They know how important liberty is. And then we realize how important our Constitution uh, protect how it protects us. Yeah. You know, bouncing to to current real time, you know, the the people that were the most heroic at the very beginning of the pandemic. Right. You think about truckers who delivered the goods, the frontline healthcare workers, the 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 first responders. You know, we didn't know how bad uh, COVID was going to end up being and how. Right. How, you know, and uh, how deadly it was and our going military, to be. too, the Jason, military, our military, they were always at ready. No and and yet they're the ones that are on. under attack now by this administration that yeah. the, the contrast yeah. just could not. They're be firing greater. them. No, they're yeah. firing them for not getting a vaccine that uh, certainly helps with symptoms. But we know that it's it's not a vaccine like vaccines we know in, in our past, like for polio or measles, mumps. And yeah, this whole idea of self-determination and, uh, t- it, uh, in, you know, taking the information and making the best decisions that you can for you, your family. I, I mean, all of the, the interaction between you and your your healthcare professionals. I mean, all of that yes. is out the door with these people. So, but I, I want to go well, back to what I you said. Can I just mention, if sure. I could just say something on that line, you just mentioned about self-determination and getting the best information and making those decisions for your family. When Dr. Fauci and President Trump's first, when they first came out and started talking about the, you know, the pandemic and what we should do, we all did it in my embassy. But then when I started to see them politicize the advice, and it didn't take long, within the first like four or six weeks, Fauci was out there politicizing stuff. And, and you could tell because they were, they would say different things, but the science hadn't changed. Like, science is evidence, right? And you have to dispute things to come to the right conclusion. And there was like, there was like this party line. And I said to my team, educate your yourself and do the best, make the best decisions you can for your family, but read widely, right. get yeah. information because yeah. this, you know, if you have one channel on and it's telling you one thing that you may not be getting the best advice. And certainly the CDC we can see is completely politicized and being, you know, their, their edicts are being written by education unions with their own interests and then other companies who have their own interests. It's, it's not what we thought it was. Yeah. It, it, this administration to continue to have Fauci out front, if you don't fire Fauci and move on, you're just not going to, we need to investigate and fire him, but we also have to investigate him and find out how he was involved in this pandemic. The evidence is there, and I think it needs to further investigation, and I totally, totally agree with you. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more of my conversation with Ambassador Carla Sands right after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. All right, so let's go back. So sure. you and your, your husband, Fred Sands, I'm glad you're listening to uh, Ronald Reagan. His approach to this, I think, is was such wise advice. And uh, you really stepped up and did a lot for candidate after candidate and the, the whole politi- political array. But the Republicans that that uh, you know were going to be out there and displacing these these Democrats. But at one point, at some point, you you had to have made some sort of transition. It's interesting where I've seen a lot of candidates come and go, and then you finally look around and you think, you know what? I think I can do this. I think I can do this better than they can. So what was that moment? What were those things that happened where you finally said, you know what? I want to go do this because I've got a skill set. I know these issues. I've been helping the party for decades. So mm-hmm. why, what happened? Where did that moment come where you thought, I can do this and I want to do it? Well, I think they say it's Einstein that said that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And what I had been doing over the decades was working to get elected 
many, many Republicans, presidents, congressmen, senators. And what I found was that the left was taking our country inch by inch. Every day they were making progress in removing our constitutional rights, in embedding really bad policy, in taking away our freedoms. And just really, if you look at their ideas today and how anti-American they are, we have an open border. We have chaos around the world. We're, you know, we have record amounts of fentanyl coming in over our border. And the answer by this president is we're going to send you crack pipes. This administration is so lawless. They're not upholding the laws that the president swore to uphold. And so when you see the left taking so taking our country so fast and you know that you've worked hard to get Republicans elected, but it seems like many of them are weak, not all of them. But many are weak and maybe it's their self-interest. They like their cocktail parties and their pensions. I don't know what it is, but they're not fighting for the American people and telling the left, no, we're taking our country back. We're done compromising. It's your turn to compromise. The left is going to compromise and we're going to reestablish our constitutional republic, the rule of law that we do not have a politicized judiciary, that we do not demonize parents because they don't want their children to be taught racism and to hate themselves and their fellow students. There are so many examples where our elected officials, not all, but many, are not fighting for the American people. And I, as I was sitting in Denmark, so there's clarity from a distance, watching that rioting and looting in 2020 when not one Democrat mayor or governor stepped up and stopped them. Instead, they were like Kamala Harris bailing them out and giving them excuses and even encouraging them and sometimes joining. And then we saw the incoming Biden administration talking about banning fracking, opening our southern border. And we all have seen the cancellation of conservative voices on social media, including a sitting president. The social media companies had become the public square. We have to regulate them like the telephone company, because during the pandemic, Jason, you and I did our work by Zoom, right? And by whatever, Google or whatever it was, it was it has now become the public square. And when the government colludes with them and asks them to censor, they're an arm of the government. They no longer have those protections. We must regulate them like the telephone company and not allow them to censor anyone in, in when it comes to free speech. Yeah, what they're doing and what they're getting away with is it truly is. It really is stunning. So let me go back a little bit. You've helped all these candidates. Yes. Congress, Senate, running for president. Tell me about your kind of first interaction with Donald Trump. And then that sort of blossomed because not only did you do some, you know, help him raise some money and get him in the spot that he that he got to. And uh but then you also were involved in his economic team and then ultimately being named the ambassador. So go back to sort of that first Donald Trump interaction because he is uh, he is a force of nature. That He, he is such an amazing person. Um, but I want to hear your story and what what your interaction with him was like. Sure. So, well, he you know, he really cares about the American people. He's a warm person to talk to. He's friendly with people, no matter whether they can do anything for him or not. He likes people genuinely, and he loves America. And you can tell. Yeah, and he loves true. all yeah. Americans, not just people that are not just the fancy people. And <clears throat> Donald Trump, of course, had built a large organization. And I was introduced to him by people that I respected and cared for. I had served on boards with them. We had done business dealings together. And when they introduced me, and said, you need to meet him. I listened and I met with him. We raised a lot of money for him. And I also personally contributed. And then you're right. He, he did appoint me to his economic advisory council and then uh, as his ambassador to the kingdom of Denmark. And while we were in Denmark, we got a lot done for the American people. We focused really on securing the United States and on increasing trade. And while I was there, we increased U.S. exports over 43%. So we created thousands of jobs right here at home. But we also worked to secure the region. Our, um, if you don't mind, I'll just explain. Denmark yeah, is a yeah. kingdom. It has Greenland and the Faroe Islands. 
And so the Faroe Islands are in that GIUK gap that goes from Greenland to the UK. It's a very large expanse of sea. And then also Greenland, which is just off our northeast coast. And it's the world's largest island. It's one third the size of the U.S., but only has about 55,000 people living there. Wow, that's amazing. Yes, amazing. And so we had not had a diplomatic relationship with Greenland in, I think it was 67 years when I got there. We had problems with contracts between our base on Greenland and the United States, the DOD, and they wanted uh, trading cooperation agreements in the Faroe Islands and in, in Greenland so that they could have closer ties. And Russia and China had a big presence up there, and we were absent. So I went to NATO. I went to UCOM. I worked with the Pentagon and so many different you know, departments like commerce and energy, the treasury. That was mostly to fight corruption. But the Interior Department, and then the Department of State, and of course, DOD. So I was on a plane doing, I guess you could call it shuttle diplomacy. Every four to six weeks, I'd be back in Washington, either meeting with the, you know, the Coast Guard Commandant or the Pentagon, the State Department. They, have a, they work with energy and natural resources there, but also other parts of the U.S. government. And then I worked also with the Senate and with Congress because we had to get appropriations for these, these things. We needed money. And so I was able to work with congressmen and senators, even met with some of the folks from the Senate Armed Services Committee to make sure that we just got everything right. And we were successful. And uh, about a year ago, I was awarded the Department of Defense's highest civilian honor. It's called the Medal for Distinguished Public Service. And that was for my work to secure that region. But we, we worked ceaselessly. My team in Denmark was amazing. They worked so hard, my State Department team, my military team, and then the folks in Washington. I would say the first two years of me knocking on doors, they stayed closed. But once the message began to uh, resonate with them about how we were really absent in that theater and China and Russia were not, they were very busy, we were able to get to yes. And then things moved very quickly. Explain to us a little bit, because... You know, I saw Joe Biden come into office and one of the very first things he did was got rid of our, I don't know what the right word is, but blockade or our insistence that the Nord Stream 2 pipeline not be built. Explain to people why this is so pivotal. Now here's Russia knocking on the door, going to maybe not even knocking on the door, just blowing the door down in Ukraine. And we, the United States, gave up a lot of leverage that we had in order to push back on Russia, I cannot for the life of me understand why Joe Biden and Kamala Harris just unilaterally gave up and said, oh, Nord Stream Pipeline, yeah, go for it. When we could have used that as a point of leverage to get them to back off of Ukraine. Yes. So the only place that this Russian gas pipeline called Nord Stream 2 wasn't built was in Danish waters. So I got briefed before I went to post. And then while I was there, I worked with U.S. intelligence groups to brief, you know, the folks there on site to maintain that it wasn't getting finished in Danish waters. And then eventually uh, we had the threat of sanctions, which we absolutely pressed uh, the companies that were involved with like laying the pipe and things like that or the insurance company. So we had threats of sanctions and that also blocked it from being completed. And and then So we stopped it the whole time I was there. Nord Stream 2 was not finished. And that Nord Stream 2 pipeline, the Russian gas pipeline, all it does is bypass Ukraine. It sends the same gas into Europe. But what they can do is they can turn off the energy passing through Ukraine from Russia. So Ukraine would suddenly lose about $2 billion of transit fees a year, and they don't have any power. Hmm. They have no energy from Russia, which they rely on. And so when that happens, can you imagine the ability of Russia to, you know, use that as part of war, right? It's an asymmetrical war. You turn off the power and you hurt the government because they lose $2 billion. It's not that big an economy. They would feel this and it destabilizes Ukraine. So it's very important that Nord Stream 2 doesn't go online, but there's a lot of rich people have invested in this Russian gas pipeline and it's led by a former... German chancellor. And so it's so corrupting 
that these people have decided to invest in Russian gas when they can get gas from non-adversary countries. And the, it gets worse because Germany doesn't pay their fair share to NATO. And NATO, a big part of NATO's job, is to make sure Russia doesn't, doesn't invade European countries that are member nations. Now, Ukraine is not a member of NATO yet, but the countries near it are. And so they feel under great threat. So Germany isn't even allowing overflights to help Ukraine, you know, sustain against an attack from Russia. So Germany is not a clean actor in this in this issue. We have real real challenges because they're a NATO ally and they're a big economy, not paying their part, not allowing the allies to fortify Ukraine by overflights and um, and blocking some other nearby countries from even helping Ukraine. So we have real, real security challenges around the world. And now we have this weak president. President Biden is a weak president and the world is in danger because of it. And I don't believe that he's getting the best advice. And I think sometimes he doesn't listen to the advice he does get. And so the world's a dangerous place. We need to elect strong Republican leadership this year and take back the Senate. And in 2024, we have to take back the White House and bring order back to the chaos in the world. And I hope it's not too late. Yeah, no, there's so much going on. I, th- I thought one of the biggest debacles, uh, you know, in this last election, it was just disappointing that, um, you know, they didn't have a foreign policy presidential debate because I think that Donald Trump would have run circles around Joe Biden and we would have learned a lot. And, uh, you know, that person that uh, supposedly had the problems who was going to be the moderator there at C-SPAN, I think he still works, still has his job. Um, but for him to disrupt and cause chaos and problems with a presidential debate, I, I it's just, anyway, it just drives me nuts and makes me so crazy. But Carla, you... Well, can I just say, aren't we glad sure. that Ronna McDaniel says no more those people who hate Republicans are no longer going to control our debates. We're yeah. out and we're yeah. going to find an alternative. Hugh Hewitt said he's happy to, to honcho those debates. And if we have good conservative or even middle minded people that don't have a political agenda, then we'll really get to hear the candidates without them colluding with the left, like that happened with Candy Crawley and Obama. That's terrible what they've done to our debates. And we should have had a a foreign policy debate between Biden and Trump. And the reason we didn't is because they knew that Biden would lose. I think you're right. I think you're right on all fronts. And Hugh Hewitt would be an excellent choice because I think he'd ask tough, fair, even minded questions of both sides. He's just that kind of guy. I just think he'd be he'd be wonderful. Carly, so it's a big step, though, to do what you've done, serve the nation, help candidates, do everything you can possibly do to help uh, the party and whatnot. But then to actually put your name out there and say, all right, I'm going to put my name on this ballot and I'd love your help and support. Like, what were the gyrations or what were the thought process that went through with you? And I mean, that's just, that's a tough thing to do because you know people are going to throw money at you. You know you're going to be have a lot of bad things said about you that aren't true and all those types of things. But when did you get to that point where you said, yeah, I really got to do this and this is why I'm going to do it? Well, first of all, you did give me an opening there that I have to take advantage of. Yes, I do need your listener support. And I have a website, carlasands.com, and I'd love them to go to our website and contribute. I am investing in my own campaign, but I can't do it alone. And I need my friends and friends of friends to help, certainly. So I'd appreciate any help they can give. And also, if they live in Pennsylvania, we'd love to have them sign up to be a volunteer or ask me to come to speak to their group. And I love coming all over the Commonwealth and speaking to different groups and sharing our message and why we have the best path to take back the Senate, because I'm the only candidate in this race that our base is going to trust to put America and Pennsylvania first every day, because I'm the only one that's done it since 2016 and the only one who served in President Trump's administration, working for all of them. Interesting. So, that thought to say, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you know, it's hard to go ask other people for money. You put your name out on the ballot. I mean, you might win, but you might lose too. And and as a candidate, I look, I've gone through this. You, you, you recognize that. But when did you decide, how did you decide? Yeah, I, this is something I'm going to do. 
I think it's a calling. I knew that I couldn't not do anything when we're losing our country so fast. This is not the Democrat Party of our childhood or our parents' generation that had a few more labor members and loved their country that, you know, supported Israel, the Democrat Party who was patriotic and would be in, you know, parades and, and sing the Star Spangled Banner and love the flag and honor our country and teach patriotic education to their kids. You have the glorious history of our country, the greatest nation in the history of the world. That's where we're blessed to live. But the kids aren't learning that today. And so when I looked, I mean, I get chills thinking about it. When I looked at what was happening at our country with open eyes, where we were 20, 30, 40 years ago, and where we are today, it's unacceptable. That's not progress. What's happened is the left has attempted to undermine our heritage, our constitutional rights. I mean, our laws are based on the Ten Commandments and British law, largely. And when you look at our laws and how they've protected Americans, unlike so many countries that were politicized, where there wasn't justice, where you could, if you were rich, you could buy your way out. We had blind justice, more or less. Certainly things weren't perfect. They were becoming more perfect in our structures. And, you know, the civil rights helped and and women's rights helped. But the fact is that the left is taking over our country and every institution, it seems. And if we want to remain a constitutional republic, we need conservative Republicans. And I am a pro-life, pro-First Amendment, pro-Second Amendment, pro-Constitution, America first conservative woman. And we need others to step up, whether it's for school board or row office, for governor, for president. We need heroes today because we're losing our country to the hard left. And if you don't see it, it's because your your eyes are closed. That's how yeah. fast it's happening. Yeah, it goes back to that Ronald Reagan adage, right, that uh, we're just one generation away from losing it. If we don't pass the baton, if we don't stand tall, if we don't continue to make the, the case and have good people step up and and fight back what others would do to this country, then we're going to be in trouble. And um, so I appreciate really um, your willingness to step up and agree to say, hey, look, I'm willing to put myself out there and to serve and take the arrows that come with being a candidate. And uh, so hats off to you for for uh, stepping up and saying, hey, look, I'm, I'm ready and I'm willing to serve. And certainly your background in, in the foreign policy side of the equation uh, and serving as an ambassador and helping Donald Trump with the economic side of the equation on that council, that the, all good stuff. So um, well, I also ran a company with a nationwide footprint with hundreds of employees. So when my when my husband passed away in 2015, I stepped up to run that company. So I also have very small business experience, run, you know, helping to run offices, uh, doctor's offices. And then I have the larger, um, I would call it medium sized business experience. But Jason, none of the rest of it really matters. None of it because we have to save our country. This is like a three alarm fire and all hands have to be on deck. If you're, a, if you're, you love your country, if you're a conservative, even if you weren't before and you see what's happening, you should step up and, and make a difference. That's yeah. that, it's so important. We can't, none of us can stay on the sidelines anymore. You're listening to Jason in the house. We'll be back with more right after this. Now, we want to get to know you a little bit better, so I have some rapid questions for you. So I don't ah. you know. You, you, may have, you may have been an ambassador. You may have, you know, had to speak in front of the I Senate. I have four brothers, before. so whatever you're going to say, it's not going to shock me. Go ahead. These are going to be easy compared okay. to your brothers. This will be easy. All right, here we go. Ready? Yes. First concert you attended. Oh, my gosh concert like real concert yeah that not like you know i went to school and the band played yeah, not yeah, that. Yeah. like um you know i've been amazed by the array of answers to this but do you remember what the first concert was you attended you know probably in atlanta they had um they had symphony concerts and i'm sure i subscribed as a uh, a doctoral student and went to shows there and i'm sure they were concerts and maybe even 
ballet sometimes. So okay, probably like first, in Atlanta. It's like a adult. like a rock and roll concert. Like a like Oh a, rock and roll. Oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> like it's something like that. I mean, did you go to yeah, uh, Billy I, Joel I or to, I mean was there something yeah. like that that you went to? Um it was um oh my gosh, Rod Stewart. Rod Stewart. That's the first Rod yes. Stewart that we've had. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, Rod Stewart. He had a lot of good songs. Concert. I still like Rod Stewart. He kicked a soccer ball around, and that was fun. Yes, yes. I've got a whole long story about that. I'm not going to bother you with it, but yes. Okay. I actually met Rod Stewart way back when, when I was a little kid into soccer, and yeah. Um, that's fun. I yeah, met him in Scotland. <laughs> oh, that's good. All right, so yeah. Rod Stewart. That's the first Rod Stewart that we've had. All right, what was your high school mascot? We were the Eagles. Oh, well, that's legit. What's your favorite yeah. vegetable? Hmm. Potatoes. Yeah, there we go. Is that a vegetable? It's a root vegetable, right? Yeah, it counts. Okay. It counts. It, it's amazing how many veg, how many people have have uh, named a vegetable that really wasn't a vegetable, but that, that counts. I, <laughs> I'm buying that. It's a vegetable for me. All right. <laughs> did you have a pet growing up? We did. We had an old English sheepdog. Yes, mostly hung around under the dining room table. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. Um, okay, so if you could meet one person, you're like, hey, I'm, tonight I'm going to have set aside some time, going to make a little dinner. I'm going to have somebody over, dead or alive. If there's one person that you would meet and like to have a discussion with, who would that be? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I think it's a toss-up between Ronald Reagan and George Washington. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Okay, fair enough. Legit. It'd be good to have both of them. But yeah, that's yes. good. Um, all right. This is a big one for me personally. Okay. Um, yes or no? Pineapple on pizza? <laughs> Definitely no. Oh, I'm good. From, no, no way. That's. I don't know who did that. Who had that idea? <laughs> yeah, you don't put wet fruit on a pizza. No. I, Judges New York like that has answer. the best pizza. Yeah, New York, definitely. Yeah, d d judges like that answer. So um, best advice you ever got? Anything is possible. That's good. I like it. Favorite menu item at Taco Bell? Oh, the one that's made from that, um, the, from that really spicy chip. You know, it's like a special taco, but it's like got yeah. that really heavily spicy chip. And I can't think of what it's called. Because I was in Denmark for so long, but when we would come home, it was either Chipotle or the Taco Bell one with that spice on it. But I can't think of the name. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Judges will accept that answer, and that's all the hard pressing questions that we have. But oh well, thanks, Jason. Carla Sands. She's a candidate <laughs> for the you, United sir. States Senate. She served as ambassador, so we'll formally call her ambassador. Uh, Carla Sands, but I we wish you nothing but the best in every endeavor. And, Thank you. Uh, thanks for serving your country and being involved and engaged. And uh, I appreciate you joining us on the Jason in the House podcast. Thanks for having me on, Jason. It's a terrific concept. And I had a wonderful time. All right. Well, I want to thank Carla Sands for joining us. I, that was fascinating. It was really interesting to kind of get to know her, her approach, what she wants to do, but you know her approach on life. And people just get up, they get after things, they make things happen. And I, I know a lot of people want to be a candidate. They want to be an ambassador. And, you know, it, I think it's always important to have some success earlier on in life, just work hard, get after it. And it sounds like that's what she did. So it'd be interesting to see how that race turns out. But I certainly enjoy her joining us on the Jason in the House podcast. I want to offer a couple predictions. I think from time to time, it's always good to have a few predictions. Put yourself out there. See what you're, you know, what's going to happen. President Biden, he has a big moment ahead of us. It is March 1st, and that is the State of the Union. Now, Joe Biden is um, has the advantage of having super low expectations. I don't think anybody thinks he's a good orator. I don't think anybody thinks he can get through a speech and just wow. And consequently, when he gives just an average blah, I read everything on the teleprompter speech, a lot of people say, whoa, yeah, he did great. But I think there'll come a moment near the end where he will stumble a little bit. Um, he, seen, he tends to run out of gas. He gets out to a good quick start. He will do, I think, just fine. But I also think he's going to have to get highly creative and really creative on trying to tout and spin his record, his first year in office. That is going to be a very diff difficult and tall task for him. 
I do think he's going to point to his appointment of what has not yet happened, but maybe is happening literally as I speak in his appointment of the new Supreme Court justice. I think she will probably go through fairly quickly. All they have to do is get Democrats to vote for the Democratic nominee and they're fine and they'll get there. And my guess is also making a prediction that there will be five or six Republicans that will join the Democrats in voting for this person. You have the usual suspects of five or so. If the president picks the woman that he's talking about from South Carolina, he'll probably also pick up Lindsey Graham. And barring any unbelievable revelation, I think uh, Democrats will get all 50 votes plus five or six Republican votes. That's just my guess. So an interesting State of the Union. The president will get through the speech. We'll all be scratching our heads thinking, he thinks that's an accomplishment. And what about this, that, or the other? And we'll have that discussion afterwards. I also don't think it's going to make a difference. He has some of the all-time worst polling numbers in the history of polling. And I don't think Kamala Harris can help him dig out of that. I don't think Ukraine in any way, shape, or form is going to make him look better. Inflation is here and getting worse. And they offer no solutions to get after that. You combine that with how they've handled the mask mandate, how they've handled the border, how they're handling crime, supportive law enforcement. You just keep going down the list. They're in trouble. If Republicans... Again, part of my prediction can put forward a proactive agenda, something that says we want to be the adults in charge in Washington, D.C. And here's what we'll do. And if they will do it, then they will be highly successful. Without that, they were going to struggle. So that's my prediction. Thanks again for listening to the Jason in the House podcast. You can find more from the Fox News Podcast Network over there at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it be Spotify or Apple or wherever. We'd love it if you would uh, rate it, review it, give it some stars, and we'll be back with more next week. I'm Jason Chaffetz. This has been Jason in the House. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.